Samuel said, The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Verse 19, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Four different times. I have, I have, I have, I have. Do you know that you can get so consumed with what you have done in obedience to God? It can blind you to what you have not done. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. I'm so glad you've joined us today as we start part two of a message called Hacking People-Pleasing to Pieces. It's the second message in the series, Approval Addict, and we're really getting after what it means to break our addiction to people-pleasing. If you were with us last week, Pastor Trent introduced us to a character in the Bible, King Saul, who was a people-pleaser. I hope you'll listen in today as we discover how to avoid the kind of pitfalls that led to Saul's disobedience. So join us in 1 Samuel chapter 15 as we hear from Pastor Trent on what it takes to be a God-pleaser. Number three, pleasing God requires humility, but people-pleasers need the praise, the admiration, and the approval of others. Look at verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, and this is what God says in verse 11. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now, is there any question here what God thinks of of King Saul? Is God pleased with King Saul? No, he's not pleased. That's God's opinion of what just took place. And so God reveals that to Samuel, and Samuel in the end of verse 11, was angry and cried to the Lord all night. Samuel cried angry. Have you ever cried angry? Have you ever been angry but not cried? There's a difference. Most of us, we get angry and we displease God. If you're angry, and you're angry at the things that God is angry about, oftentimes you will cry angry. That's what Samuel did. He was angry that God was displeased, and yet it brought him to the place of tears, and he interceded on behalf of the people and on behalf of King Saul. We need to cry angry too. Verse 12, and Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. How do you think that breakfast went? Let's find out. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Who sets up a monument for themselves? Not humble people, but proud, arrogant, people-pleasing people. Set up monuments for themselves. And he turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. True or false? Almost. He almost performed the commandment of the Lord. He almost completely obeyed God in everything. And that's called what? 
disobedience. Look at verse 14. And Samuel said, Then what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Hey, King Saul, dead sheep don't make sounds. I hear what you have said, but the evidence is contrary to your testimony. Verse 15, and Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Who brought them from the Amalekites? They. You know who they are, right? It's those people that disobey God. You know, he deflects the confrontation to someone else. We're really good at that, right? He ends up blaming somebody else for his own disobedience rather than accepting personal responsibility. And he says, For the people, verse 15, spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! Don't you love that? If you're a parent, you love that verse. Stop! Stop making excuses. Stop deflecting the truth. Stop blaming others. That's what a good prophet does. He says, stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me. And he said, speak. Verse 17, Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes. The NIV translates it this way. When you were little in your own eyes. So either way, we believe that Saul has kind of left the idea of humility and he's gotten big in his own eyes. And it says, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? In other words, don't you understand how much your disobedience affects those that are looking to you? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. In other words, you've been given a great position of influence. You've got a great opportunity to lead others in the path of righteousness. And yet he says in verse 18, the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on mission which the Lord has sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of, the, of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Four different times. I have, I have, I have, I have. Do you know that you can get so consumed with what you have done in obedience to God? It can blind you to what you have not done. He almost completely obeyed God in everything, and it made him blind to the things that he had left undone. And that is such a temptation for those of us that are part of a great family, a great church, that know God's Word. It can blind you to the unfinished business that God wants to do in your life. And you end up offering excuses. People-pleasing requires the humility to say, I am an unfinished product, I am still a dirty, rotten sinner that needs to repent, and I need God's grace in every area of my life. But if you've got the praise of others and you're satisfied by that, you'll stop short of being a God-pleaser. There's three things required if you're going to be humble. 
First of all, an honest inspection. You tell me, was Saul willing to honestly inspect the unfinished business in his life? No, he put on a mask and he wanted to point to all the good things. And look how great I am. And look, all these people approve of me. The second thing is personal responsibility. What did Saul want to do? He wanted to blame the people for his own disobedience. Here's the third thing of a humble heart is a transparent confession. Not calling attention to all the great things you have done, but humbly admitting the things that you have left undone in obedience to God. We're all tempted to get trapped into people-pleasing, and it's so easy to do. Proverbs 29, 25 says it is a trap. I think there's five traps that we see in this story. The first is pride, and we certainly see pride in Saul's life, and that's when you begin to say or think things like this. I need you to think I am awesome because I know how awesome I really am. I mean, if you can't see it, you just obviously have yet to be convinced. Let me tell you about how awesome I am. I build a monument to myself. I lecture you. Here's my resume. I do things to get attention. And that's how you know you have a heart of pride. You call attention to the things that you have done, and you cover the things that you've left undone. Here's the second trap. It's pretense. And that's where you say things like this. I need you to think I'm awesome because I know I'm really not. Deep down on the inside, you're insecure, you're fearful, you don't feel like you measure up, you don't think you're, you have enough intellect, you don't feel like you, you're, you're pretty enough, you don't feel like you have enough business savvy, you, you don't feel like you've got enough athletic ability, you don't feel like you've got enough money, and so what you do is you pretend that you have all of that when you know deep down on the inside you feel like such a failure and you fear other people's rejection, so you put on a facade. That's what a people pleaser does. Here's the third trap. It's popularity. And that's where you say this, I need the awesome people to think I'm awesome. Who cares what the less than awesome people think? And that's where you begin to make value judgments on other people. He's like, I know those people don't like me, but I don't care what they think anyway. They're losers. I don't want to be a part of a loser crowd. I want to be a part of the winner crowd. I want to sit at the best lunch table and have all the eyes on me. And I feel so much better when I'm around the awesome people. Even though I know I'm not awesome, they think I'm awesome, so I'm awesome. That's a people-pleasing attitude. Here's the fourth thing, pressure. I need you to like me. And I need you to like me so much, I will let you control me through your expectations. So what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to wear? What do you want me to drive? Where do you want me to go? Oh, you want me to drink that? Okay, I'll drink that. Just please, please tell me I've got your approval when I do. You, you want me to engage in that sexually explicit activity? As long as you like me, I'll do that. And what you do is you end up displeasing God in order to get the the pleasure, the acceptance, and the approval of other people. And the pressure is on the outside because you have so little internal Holy Spirit conviction on the inside. You're trapped by peer pressure. And the fifth thing is this, power. I need to pressure you to accept my definition of awesome. Oh, you don't agree with me about what I think is awesome? Well, let me try to help you change your mind. 
and you begin to talk and you begin to manipulate and you begin to get other people to put pressure on those people. And this happens most often when you already have a position of influence. You're a king in some area. You've got power, you've got money, you've got influence, and you can't, you're so insecure, and you're such an approval addict, you can't live with somebody disagreeing. And so what you do is you power up over those people, you stomp them down until they submit to your definition of awesome, or you eliminate them completely. And you're trapped. You're an approval addict. And Saul was an approval addict. We'll never be able to obey God as long as we are people pleasers. Here's the fourth thing. Pleasing God requires crushing the idol of self. Look at verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? That's a question. It's a rhetorical question. You want to just write in your Bible the answer there? I'll read it again. You give me the answer. I'll read it. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? No. God doesn't want your offerings and your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. He says it again. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. You take all the time you've sacrificed, all the money that you've given, You take all the people that you've won to the Lord, all the hours you've spent reading or teaching the Bible, all the good things that you have done in obedience to God, you put it on one side of the scale, and you use all of that to mask and cover up and hide behind the fact that you simply won't obey the little things God told you to do, God's not impressed with your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. We want to do big things that require big sacrifices. God wants you to do the simple things that require obedience. Look at verse 23. Rebellion is as the sin of divination. Divination is witchcraft. You're like, what? I I don't worship the devil. I'm not like doing witchcraft. Do you understand that you are never more like the devil when you rebel against God? You put yourself under the influence of demonic forces because they are leading a rebellion against God. And when you rebel against what God has said, in a sense, you're practicing witchcraft. He goes on and says this. He says, and presumption, another translation says arrogance, another translation says stubbornness, You stubborn? Stubbornness is as the sin of idolatry. Idolatry. You know what idolatry is? That's the worship of self. Last night, Danny Gokey was in the room. I kind of said, hey, Danny, you really don't want to be an American idol. It's a good thing you only finished third, all right? I mean, that might be a little bit too high, right? I mean, you don't want to make the life goal people bowing down and worshiping you. Because the goal of your life is to get people to bow down and worship God. He's the only one worthy of worship. But people pleasers want the misdirected worship of other people. And by the way, Danny totally gets that. And he led us in great worship last night to the Lord. And it wasn't about Danny, it was about Jesus. But you don't want to be an idol worshiper because... 
that means that you think more about yourself than you do about God. Anything you think of more than God is an idol. Anything that your heart loves more than God is an idol. Anything you want more than God is an idol. Anything that controls you more than God is an idol. And anything in your life that takes up space, time, or money that belongs to God is an idol. And it will prevent you from pleasing the Lord. Look at verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Well, thank you very much. Finally, we get to your confession. We're a little too deep into the story. That should have happened way back up in like verse 15. But he says to Samuel, I have sinned. I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people. This is the reason I can't obey God because I'm such an approval addict. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Verse 25, now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. I just wrote in my Bible after the word may and before the word worship, pretend. That I may pretend to worship the Lord. <laughs> because his, his worship wasn't genuine. He was worshiping himself. That's why Saul, Samuel says in verse 26, And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return to you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. How can you reject the word of the Lord and claim to worship the Lord in the previous verse? Samuel knew that his disobedience was the obstacle to his worship. And so he says, the Lord has rejected you from being king. Verse 27, Samuel turned to go away and Saul seized the skirt of his robe and tore it. Do you get the picture of what's happening here? Saul was so in need of Samuel's approval that he wouldn't let him go. Samuel tries to leave. Saul grabs him and says, I can't live without your approval. Please honor me. Please lift me up. Please acknowledge what I have done. Samuel wouldn't do it. And he tried to get away. He actually tore his clothes. You say, that's ridiculous. How often have you so clung to people and wanted their approval so much that you couldn't live without it? We do the same thing. Verse 28, And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom from of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, verse 30, I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Notice he says, your God, not my God. Because his God was himself. And Samuel had the discernment to understand verse 31. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed down before the Lord. So maybe there was some measure of repentance there, but certainly not complete, absolute, utter dependence and obedience to the Lord. Here's the fifth thing. Pleasing God requires complete obedience. People pleasers compromise for the approval of others. You want to see complete obedience? Look at verse 32. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Remember him? 
and Agag came to him cheerfully. Um, if he had known what was going to happen in the next 30 seconds, he would not have come cheerfully. He says, Agag said, surely the bitterness of death has passed. He's like, the threat has been eliminated. Saul couldn't do it. Samuel could. Look at verse 33. And Samuel said, as, the, as your sword has made our women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. That, you want to translate that? You're going to die. That's what that means. You're going to die. And Samuel, into verse 33, Samuel hacked Agag to pieces. Complete, absolute obedience to God. Does that sound violent? It was. And you and I are going to have to get that violent about people-pleasing in our lives. There's three characters in this story. Did you see yourself in the story? He said, man, that King Saul, he should have obeyed God. Yeah, so should you. The truth of the matter is there's a little King Saul that lives on the inside of you and me. And do you know what he does? He listens to the voice of people. He's a people pleaser. And at times, he has disobeyed God to get the approval of other people. You ever seen that guy in the mirror? That's me. Here's an even worse reality. The truth of the matter is, there's a little agag that lives on the inside of me and you as well. Who is agag? He's the enemy of God who has declared war on God's king. There's good news in the story. There is a true and better king of Israel. His name is King Jesus. King Saul could not obey God perfectly. King Jesus listened to the voice of God. He obeyed the voice of God. And he was accepted as the true and better king of Israel. And do you know what King Jesus did at the end of his lifetime? He put himself in the place of King Agag. In this story, King Agag represents rebellion against God. He represents wickedness. He represents sin. Do you know what King Jesus did at the end of his life? He allowed himself to crawl on a cross and to be hacked to pieces. He took the place of King Agag. He took the punishment that King Agag, that little king that lives on the inside of you and me, the times when we're acting like King Agag, a holy terrorist before God, and we're hating the things of God, and we're hating the people of God, and we rebel, and we practice witchcraft and rebellion and stubbornness. All of that is the little King Agag. And do you know what? Jesus one day took the place of all the people who admit That's me. That's what I deserve. And Jesus took that for us. That is the gospel that is offered to all who will repent and believe and say, you know what? I need a better king in my life than me. I need a better better thing to worship in my life than me. 
and I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn my back on the idolatry and I'm gonna direct all the worship that belongs to God to King Jesus because he perfectly, absolutely, completely obeyed God in my place as a substitute for my sin. He was hacked to pieces. How can I not worship him? That's the gospel. Have you embraced that by faith? Like, that's weird. Welcome to the team. And it's the only kind of weirdness that will save your soul. Are you tired of being a slave to people-pleasing? You want to break that addiction addict? Let Jesus become a substitute king in your life. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Is Jesus your king? Have you surrendered? Have you submitted to him as king? Have you given all of your worship to the only one who deserves it? Whether this is the first time or the one millionth time, would you just right now tell the Lord, God, I want you and you alone to be king of my life. I turn, I repent of the things that displease you. Could I ask you just, has the Lord pointed out any disobedience in your life? Any stubbornness? Have you resisted the Samuels in your life that have tried to speak truth because they love you? They're trying to prevent you from being a slave to what other people think? A slave to your own idolatry? Why don't you tell the Lord, God, give me a heart to listen. I want to please you as the absolute goal of my life. Maybe for some of you, it's the fear of man that has kept you from publicly coming out as a Christian. Maybe it's the fear of man. What would people think if you got baptized publicly on record as a follower of Jesus Christ? Father, thank you for the good work that you've done this weekend in the hearts of your people. I pray that you would draw those who have yet to surrender to you as the only one worthy of worship. Thank you for being a true and better king and taking our place. Lord, it was us that deserved to be hacked to pieces because of our rebellion and our sin. And yet you took our place on the cross. Thank you for your grace. Apply it now to those in need of salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From today's message, it's important to understand that our own wickedness and sin deserve punishment. And yet, God stands ready to pardon those who would accept His sacrifice, which was a violent death on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. Have you accepted the pardon that God offers through His Son, Jesus? You know, forgiveness of sin and new life in Christ are the first steps in our transformation from people-pleaser to God-pleaser. Well, if you've been challenged by this message from Pastor Trent and want to hear more messages just like this one, we invite you to join us at one of our weekend worship services at Harvest Granger. Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. 
We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. You can also listen to past messages by clicking on the teaching tab at harvestgranger.org. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and I'm so glad you've joined us today. I hope you'll come back next week for another message in the Approval Attic series titled, When People Are Too Big. Until then, my prayer is that God's Word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. HarvestGranger.org